invite you to take your Bibles, have them handy. You can turn to Ephesians 5 if you'd like, as we'll be spending some time there this morning. We are in our topical series, and so tend to jump around a little bit more, and we'll continue to do so from week to week. Speaking this morning to husbands, recall last week I spent the time speaking to wives as we began our topical series officially. We had technically, I suppose, begun it the week before as we simply spoke of design and the importance of God's design. Then we spoke uh, in our official beginning to the series to wives. And I mentioned at the time that it was admittedly out of order, I feel, to speak first to the wife from any typical measure of how God has structured the family because ultimately the authority and the responsibility of the family rests firmly with the husband and the father. So typically what I have done is I've begun by speaking to the husband and the father, encouraging him to take that leadership and then speaking to the wife afterward. But I mentioned last week that I had a very particular reason for inverting the order of these, for speaking to wives last week and speaking to husbands this week. And it was important to me that we all hear the role of the wife in the family and in in the marriage first to set that foundation because it is going to help as we consider just how important the role of the husband is, not only in relation to the commands of God, but in the relation to the disposition of your wife and the expectations that God has laid upon your wife. Men, if your wife is doing her part properly, as we talked about last week, if she, as the co-heir to the grace of life and as your helpmeet, is doing her part, is yielding herself in submission to you as she has been called to do, if she has aligned her goals with your goals as she ought, so she does not see herself as an independent actor working for her own glory or success, but rather as a helpmeet and a co-heir to the grace of life, who has fundamentally altered her perception of success to be defined by your success as the Bible exemplifies, if she has done this, then her yieldedness ought to deeply affect you. It ought to impress upon you the seriousness of the weight of your responsibility unto her. You don't just live for yourself, men. Husbands in particular, I'm speaking this morning. Tonight we'll talk about biblical masculinity, and I hope that you'll, you'll be here for that and that the men will be ready to, to broaden our perspective beyond just husbands to men in general. You don't just live for yourself. Much to the contrary, you have a wife who not only depends upon you physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. She has, in obedience to God, yielded whatever independence she might have to you, trusting that you will take care of her. And this is a huge responsibility. So husbands, let's talk about your role in marriage. Just as I did last week, we're going to walk through attributes. And beginning, husbands, I want to talk about the fact that as a husband, your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. We begin with the essential. This is not just a commission. This is a mindset. And I cannot stress unto you enough just how important this is. If you have this one, husband, 
If you've got this one down, if this is your mindset, if you walk into every day with this mindset, you have laid the foundation for everything else that we're going to talk about. You've laid the foundation for every other principle of being a husband and a father and a Christian man. The remainder of your efforts and your obligations in the Lord will simply need patience, growth, and intention if this one is well in hand. And we go to that authoritative passage, which I asked you to turn to this morning in order to relate ourselves to this concept from Ephesians chapter 5. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 is speaking directly toward Christ and his church. We see that toward the end of the passage, but it relates very strongly, of course, to the husband and the wife. We read a portion of it last week to wives. I'd like to read a whole portion of it for you this morning, beginning with the wife portion, moving into the husband portion, beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says this. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord, the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We have a very strong comparison in this passage of which husbands simply don't appreciate as we ought. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. Consider with me that standard this morning. Think carefully on that standard this morning. Let us remind ourselves of the doctrine which this command in Ephesians 5 invokes. John 3.16, the Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus was in love, given for us, to the extent where he gave of his very life for us, did he not? What does it mean? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul teaches this of Christ and this love and this sacrifice. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So here we have a call to assume a mindset of humility. But within this passage, we also see a description of the nature of Christ's sacrifice for his church. He, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, indeed is co-equal with the Father, bearing all of the advantages and privileges of creator and of divinity. He took upon himself the weaknesses of human flesh. 
he became not a powerful and influential human, but he took upon himself not just human flesh, but the form of a servant as he was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He counted his life of less worth than the lives of those whom he would seek to save. He yielded all of those privileges and he did it for his church. He did it for all we who have accepted Christ as Savior. He went to the very fullest lengths of human physical capacity in order that he might save those to the uttermost who would put their faith in him. He suffered being tempted. He had nowhere to lay his head. He was despised and rejected of men. And finally, he was scourged. He was condemned falsely. He was put on a cross. And it was there that the Bible says that he bore our sin. This is the extent to which Christ loved his church and gave himself for his church. Now, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands... Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. A yieldedness of mind whereby the husband enters into marriage, enters into every day of that marriage, enters into every scenario of that marriage yielded. Not yielded to his wife's opinions or authority or demands. That's not what we're talking about. Yielded to his wife's life, to her needs, to her best as Christ did to his church. A godly husband, an obedient husband to the Lord is a husband who has placed himself on the back burner in deference to the responsibilities he has toward his wife. A godly husband is a husband whose life and priorities place his wife above himself. And once again, let me clarify what this means and what this doesn't. Jesus' love for the world did not compel him to give in to the world, did it? Jesus' love for the world did not compel him to do explicitly everything that the world wanted of him. When the world around him hated him for his actions, he didn't change his actions because he knew that what he was doing was best for them whether they liked it or not. He didn't change his actions because whether they knew it or not, he was doing what was best for them. As a husband, your wife will not always like or understand your decisions. And giving into her displeasure or her frustration over decisions which you believe are truly best as you are led of the Lord is not loving her. It's simply yielding your God-ordained authority to her. That's what we call yielding headship. And it's gotten godly men into trouble on any number of occasions as we can see in the scriptures. We'll talk about that more later. I'm not talking about giving into a wife's ungodly demands unreasonable demands. I'm not talking about working 100 hours a week to accommodate her lavish, self-indulgent lifestyle. These are not what it means to love your wife and to give yourself for her. We often speak of loving our children in the form of discipline, do we not? That if you love your child, you are going to discipline your child. That if you love your child, you're going to ask things of your child. They're going to have to suffer a little bit because loving them is doing what is best for them. And that doesn't always mean opening up every door and giving them no, no hard path. We'll talk about that more when we talk about parents. Loving your wife is not capitulating to her every whim. Loving your wife is not letting her lead the home. Loving your wife is not giving in every time she gets frustrated or every time she gets upset. Loving your wife is not, not, not yielding to her. This is not what I'm talking about. 
Loving your wife is not saying no to important opportunities simply because of her selfish and controlling demands upon your time and attention. That, th those are not loving your wife. Loving your wife is yielding yourself to her best, not just to her demands. Yielding yourself to your wife's demands is simply you being a weak leader. It's you taking the easy route in a lot of cases. It's not loving her. What the Bible is talking about when the Bible talks about love and yielding yourself, yielding your priorities for the sake of her needs, giving of yourself to secure her physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being, that is the yieldedness that God has called us to have. That is the yieldedness that reflects Christ's yieldedness, Christ's humility, Christ giving himself for his church. This is standing between your wife and those who would seek to harm her. This is yielding those things which you might want in deference to those things that your family, your wife might need. This is changing your schedules or routines to accommodate her health, her contentment, those things that she needs. This is being patient when she doesn't understand you. This is standing firm when she opposes something that you know what is best for you or for the family. This is making every decision on the basis of your wife's needs and desires first, and then your needs and desires second. This is making your wife more dear to you than yourself. This is caring for your wife more than yourself as yourself. Men, we are called to love our wives as Christ loves the church. An extremely high standard, but this is our charge. And what this demands is that our wife is not our emotional punching bag. She is not commissioned to sit in silence while I lash out at her for her failings. She is not commissioned to sit there and smile while I make jokes about her to other people at her expense, to demand extreme effort out of her It does not demand that our wife be seen as lesser or inferior or in any way subservient just because of that word submit, which we talked about last week and what that actually means. It is not my privilege, husband, to be weighted on hand and foot because she is my wife. There's an unfortunate element of masculine culture, we'll talk about it more this evening, that sees one's wife as a repository of my disrespect, even if it's just in jest. This ought not so be named among believing husbands. Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant. This does not mean that we wait upon our wife either. Our wives are not our queens in the castle who we fawn over, existing simply to be her willing slave due to us being enamored by her beauty and her many graces. This is a romantic idea of the Enlightenment, which is just as unbiblical as the other idea of her being our slave. Our slave. I serve my wife by meeting her needs, even at the expense of myself, by considering her concerns above my own, by listening to her and valuing what she says. And we see the depth of this as Paul continues in Ephesians 5. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. My wife and I are one flesh. A hurt to my wife is a hurt to me. A weakness in my wife is a weakness in me. As I would care for my body, understand my body's needs, not push my body 
too far, not demand things of my body while simultaneously denying it what it needs to do the job properly, so too I treat my wife. Husband, your wife is not just your responsibility. She is one flesh with you. Adam said, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. The two are made one. If that is what your wife is, then husband, treat her like it. As a husband, your life is not your own. As a husband, you are also an accountable leader. The husband, the Bible says, is the head of the wife, the leader. Responsibility to lead, and that responsibility rests with you, husband. And the consequences of leadership rest with you. Husband, you need to lead your home. This does not mean that you don't consult your wife's opinions. This does not mean you don't seek for her understanding and her knowledge. This does not mean you don't delegate unto her responsibilities. This does not mean you don't acknowledge and utilize the talents and abilities that God has given to her. Look, if she's got abilities that you don't have that are going to increase the capacity of your home to function, any good leader says the person that can do the job best does the job. If your wife is better money manager than you, then it may very well be that you need to leave that to her or delegate it to her. It's still your responsibility, but you delegate it to her. That's okay. Take full advantage of the areas, perhaps many areas, where she makes up for your weaknesses because she's your help meet. We talked about that last week, right? That's what she's there to do. She fills in the gaps of the capacities of, of, of your life. That, that, that's a good thing. But you are the physical, the emotional, the spiritual leader of your home. It is your responsibility to set the vision for your home. It is your responsibility to set the tone, the spiritual tone for your home. It is your responsibility to see that your home is running right. If those things are not happening, if you get home and there is chaos, look, the immediate issues might be with, with the way your wife is choosing to do things, but the responsibility is yours. If there's chaos in your home, when you get home, there's something wrong with the way you're leading and it needs, you need to change it. We'll talk more about what that might mean in a little bit. You're responsible to set the spiritual priorities in your home, to set the emotional tone in your home. It's your responsibility to see that your wife is provided for and that she has the tools to do what you're asking her to do. Whether or not you are the one doing these things is not the point. The point is that you are responsible for these things. It's your responsibility, men. You are the one who needs to make those hard decisions. The buck will stop with you. You need to step up and be willing to take that upon yourself. And this is where the balance comes in with regard to observing and caring for the needs of your wife. Many husbands hide behind the idea of loving and caring for their wives to justify their bad decisions. A man knows he should be in church, but his wife doesn't feel like going to church. And so he says, well, I'm just doing, I'm just sticking with my wife. I'm just meeting her needs. I'm not saying on a single basis. You know, obviously my wife is sick. She needs my help. That's, that's, I'm not saying that, right? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is men using your wife to hide behind your poor decision making. In this case, when a man hides behind his wife's desires or his wife's thoughts in order to 
change his decision-making process, not do what he knows he ought to do, even if it's not what he wants to do, he's yielding headship. He's hiding behind his wife. Loving your wife is not an excuse to yield your leadership responsibility. And while there's any number of women who are, in fact, fine leaders, this is not the role that God has designed for them in the home. And that for any number of possible reasons, as the Bible speaks of, which we won't get into this morning. So husbands, what I'm trying to do is give you a picture of the balance you need to have between regarding your wife's needs, her desires, partnering with her in marriage, being a co-heir to the grace of life, recognizing that, 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 that you are partners together in this, that you're not just dragging her along and you're not just prodding her along, while simultaneously recognizing that when you know something needs to be done, it's time for you to stand up and do it. And it's not going to be an excuse for you if you say, well, I knew what needed to be done, but my wife wasn't on board, so we didn't do it. No, that's hiding behind your wife. And it doesn't work that way. That's not how God has designed things to be. So there's a balance here. You recognize her needs. You regard her needs. You love her enough to do what's best for her. You don't yield headship to her. We see in the Bible stunning examples of the consequences of men yielding headship. I mentioned this in passing just a few moments ago. We see it in Adam and Eve, do we not? In Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says the woman took of the fruit and did eat, and she was deceived by the serpent into doing so. God had commanded them not to do this, and the woman does it. Adam, the Bible says quite clearly, was not deceived. He partook of the fruit knowingly, yielding what he knew was right. And we can only presume upon the deeper reason. Maybe it was that he did so because, and this would be my running theory, that as I just mentioned, Adam, because he is the prototypical human, was very allured by the idea of the knowledge of good and evil, was very allured by the idea of being, our own, being his own God, that idea which is rooted in the heart of man through pride. And when his wife partook of the fruit, man didn't fall to sin when she partook of the fruit. But he says, oh, she did it. In deference to my wife, I'm going to do it too. And he found a reason to do what he already wanted to do, even though he knew it was wrong, in his wife. He yielded headship to her. And the consequences of which mankind was thrown into this state of sinfulness fell to sin. We see it in Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 16. Sarah, knowing that she was barren, knowing that God's plan for Abraham was to have a seed who would inherit all things. She says, I'm barren. You need a seed. So take Hagar, my handmaid, and bring up a seed through Hagar. Abraham knew that this was not right. But he yielded his headship He did what he knew was not right as it related to God at the behest of his wife. Using the behest of his wife, yielding his headship to justify his bad decision. And he suffered tremendous responsibilities. Responsibilities that, just as with Adam, are still rippling today in geopolitical affairs. In each of these accounts, we find that the problem is not that they listened to their wives explicitly, 
Not that they cared for their wife's needs, not that they were sensitive to their wife's feelings and concerns, but rather in each case they allowed their wife to influence them into making a decision which they should not have to go outside of what they knew God would have for them, they yielded their headship to their wives and then sought to hide behind it, as Adam did. The wife you gave me, Adam said. And this is very easy to do, husbands. When you want to find an excuse to do something that, you're, that you shouldn't and your wife says, oh, just go ahead. So you do it. When you don't want to do something, but in order to have peace in the home, you grit your teeth and just do it. Just to, get, just, just to get her off my back. These are times when you yield your God-given headship to your wife. But more than just yielding your headship to your wife, the fact is that there is a real leadership crisis among men in general. Again, I'm going to talk about this this evening with biblical masculinity. Maybe you're in a situation where your wife would simply love for you to step up and lead. She's longing for you to do it, but you just won't. You're afraid to make the wrong choice, so you make no choice at all. You excuse yourself from responsibility so that you don't have to feel the weight of accountability. But here's the problem with that. The problem is that the Bible says the husband is the head of the wife. And this is where we get back to God's design. Remember, all of this falls back on God's design. The way he has designed it to be. The moment you said, I do... You left your father and your mother. You cleaved unto your wife. You two became one flesh. You assumed the responsibility. If you were unwilling to assume, to assume the responsibility, then you shouldn't have stepped into the privilege. You assumed that accountability when you said, I do. Because now your wife, if you don't lead, is in a tough spot. She's in a tough spot where she has a direction maybe she wants to go. And she knows. But, but she's not the leader in the home. You are husband. And she is depending upon you to lead for your family to get in the direction it needs to go. She's depending on you. She has to depend on you. That's her role. That's her God-given design. That's what she's going to do because that's what she needs to do because that's what God has commanded her to do. Which means you have to step up. You have to lead. And here's the thing, you will be held accountable, husband. Whether or not you recognize or fulfill that responsibility, it is yours, and you will be held accountable. Last week we talked to wives about the fact that wives, it is not your responsibility to lead, it's your responsibility to submit. That you will not be held accountable before God for the decisions that are made in your family, but rather for the disposition toward your husband and his decisions. Husband, the responsibility does in fact, rest with you. And on the day of judgment, when you stand before the Lord, you will be held accountable for your family, even if you do yield your headship and you, and you just let your wife lead the home, or even if you let your home just uh, be cast adrift because no one's leading it. Look, you're still accountable. You'll still stand before the Lord. And as I make this statement, let me be clear and fair and honest about this statement. It's a statement of principle. Because the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife, we draw out a principle of Scripture on this. We know that within the Old Testament, the principles regarding leadership and their responsibilities for their people, how God holds leaders accountable for decisions is pervasive. 
We can talk about Moses, and we have, over the course of the last um, couple of weeks in various settings, talk about Moses and the tremendous responsibility that he had to lead the nation of Israel and the accountability that was upon him. We talked about that in our rebellion message last Sunday night. We can talk about Saul and his responsibility to lead David and Jonathan. We can talk about any number of Old Testament examples of God holding leaders accountable for the way that they led their people. We know in the New Testament, the Bible tells us that powers that be are ordained of God and that they will be held accountable to God. We know that Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 tells us that ordained ministers watch for our souls as those who must give an account. And that James chapter 4, verse 1 says, Be not many masters, be not many teachers, knowing they shall receive the, the greater condemnation. Knowing that those who are given leadership responsibility or who assume leadership responsibility have with that responsibility explicit accountability before the Lord. So we see this principle all throughout New and Old Testament. We know that Ezekiel, as a prophet, was called a watchman. And God said, you stand upon the wall and you announce the enemy, right? You are a watchman. And as long as you've done your part, you're fine. But if you don't do your part, then blood is on your hands, Ezekiel, he said. We know that, we, as we've been studying in Jeremiah, that false prophets were accountable for what they said. So that when a false prophet said something in the name of the Lord that was untrue, that there was a death penalty placed upon them because they were assuming a mantle of leadership, and with that leadership comes accountability. We know that God has ordained husbands to be the head of the wife, ordained the husband to be the divine representative head over the institution of marriage. Ephesians 5 makes this abundantly clear. And this responsibility, men, must come with accountability. And what this means, husband, is that the decisions you make for your marriage and your family, we'll get there when we talk about parents, will be judged by God. You will answer to God for the disposition of your home. When a business is successful, it's successful for any number of reasons. But the man who owns the company bore all the risk and he receives the primary reward, at least in a society that's properly adjusted. When a business fails, it fails for any number of reasons. But it is the person who owns the company who bore the maximum risk of that failure and so bears the maximum responsibility for its failure. He bears the consequence. This is the privilege and the burden of leadership. And husbands, whether you knew it or not, whether you like it or not, when you enter into the marriage covenant, you have entered into a leadership position. God has given you the responsibility. God will hold you accountable. So one day we will stand before God and we, husbands, will answer for our homes. And we need to hold fast to this understanding. We need to understand this and we need to be motivated by it. Ephesians 5 connects the husband's headship over his wife to be a picture of Christ and his church. We know that in the eyes of the unbelieving world, the church is seen as both a mystery and the church is seen as backwards. In a society which states boldly the future is female, which seeks to tear down all of God's institutions, which seeks to tear down the distinctions of God's design, your leadership over your home is not just something for which you will be held accountable to God, but take note of this as well, men. When you step up and you lead, you are teaching something to others. It is your opportunity, men, to stand 
for the truth of God's word in a world that desperately needs it. Desperately needs it. If we, we who believe and love God's word, aren't exemplifying God's design in the way our homes operate, who will? One of the, we'll talk about this when we get to parents next week. One of the things we are finding in society today, and it's, become, it's vastly apparent to people who work with troubled youth, me in the jail and such, there is a tremendous problem in our society because of absentee fathers. A lack of fatherhood in society is crippling culture, crippling society. But it also cripples the church. There have been any number of people I have counseled on a Christian level, Christians who love the Lord, who want to do what's right, and they have been deeply hindered in their relationship with God because the Bible speaks of God as our Father and they have no earthly way to relate to a Father's goodness. They have no earthly way to relate to a Father's care. They have no earthly way to relate to a Father's teaching responsibility because they didn't have one. And so Christians are struggling in this culture and in this age to understand God because they hear the word Father, they immediately relate that to their Father and they say, that's God? And they have to come to the point where they can separate God as the Father from their Father in order to understand God properly. Well, look, marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. The church is not in good shape today, is it? As a whole. The church is not in good shape today. The church is weak. The church is confused. The church has decided they know better than Christ. Does that sound like a lot of marriages? If marriage is a symbolic representation of Christ and his church, then we have an opportunity to teach society about Christ and his church, to teach our children about how Christ interacts with the church and how the church responds to Christ by a functional marriage relationship. If by being a strong, accountable leader in my home, by loving and respecting my wife in the position that God has given to her, by yielding my very life in every appropriate and godly way to my wife, who is my very body in Christ, if by doing this I can be a testimony to my children, to my church, and to the world around me of the love that Christ has for his church, if by this act of godly leadership and headship the next generation can glean even the smallest taste of the love that Christ has toward them, then I must do this for their sakes. Godly Christian men have a true impact on their society. And it's not just by stepping up and being vocal. That's part. Godly Christian men can have a true impact on the lives of the next generation of young men simply by being good husbands. By being the kind of husband to our wives that Christ is a bridegroom to his bride. One more characteristic I'd like us to explore in our time together. The husband. The husband as an accountable leader. 
Before that, the husband is a life yielded. The last characteristic, the husband is a nurturer and protector, a nourisher and a cherisher. These principles do indeed go in a couple of different directions. We've already read the passage about nourishing and cherishing the wife as our own bodies from Ephesians chapter 5. We'll come back to that principle in a moment. But remember last week we spoke of the wife as a co-heir of grace. And even though it was the wife's message, I went to 1 Peter 3, 7. I said, this is to husbands, but I want to bring out a principle here. And I did that so that we could understand, elevate wives in our minds, recognize that our wives should not be seen in any way, shape, or form as inferior or inadequate or in any way lesser than their husbands co-heirs of the grace of life, partners in the grace that is this life. Going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, that would be wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. After spending time exhorting women unto submission as unto the Lord, Peter reminds the husband of his God-given responsibility to dwell with his wife according to knowledge, of treating her with gentleness and honor as unto the weaker vessel. Now, when we read this label, weaker vessel, this is, again, not a statement of inferiority, but it is one of submission. What Peter is saying is this. And men, listen closely here. This statement is the whole reason why I preached wives before husbands. So, so, so take, take note of this. What Peter is saying here is that if your wife is going to do what the Bible tells her to do, if your wife is going to wholeheartedly invest in aligning herself with your vision, with your goals, with your desires, so that she sees her goals, her success is rooted in your success as she ought, because that's what submission is. If she's going to entrust herself with your leadership as she ought, if her goal in life is to make you successful as she ought in Christ, husband, she's making herself extremely vulnerable to you. She is placing her life in your hands. In Christ, she is submitting herself, not just physically. She is submitting her emotional security, her physical well-being, and even her, phys- her spiritual convictions to you, to your leadership in the home. She is setting herself aside so that she can pursue your vision. And God has not given you this power so that you can take advantage of her. So that you can sit back and command her. So that you can live at her expense. This is not why God has given you this power. Anytime we see a power relationship, an authority relationship in the world, that authority relationship inevitably descends into power struggles, right? It descends into the powerful preying on the weak. This is inevitable in humanity, but it ought not be so in the church. Because we are new creations formed in the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we represent something higher than ourselves. Because we live for something higher than ourselves. Your wife is making herself vulnerable to you. That's why we preached last week's message. Husband, as you listen to last week's message, were you impressed with if a wife is doing what she ought? 
I hope you weren't impressed with the idea that, oh good, I can just walk all over her because I said no to that several times in the message. But were you impressed with the weight of the responsibility upon you that she is yielding herself to your leadership? She is placing herself in your care. This is a big deal. When people give things up to be under your leadership. I'm thinking of an example here. I didn't... uh, Never mind. I didn't ask permission, so I'm not going to go there. It's very humbling. It's very humbling to have people trust you enough to place themselves under your leader. As a pastor, it's very humbling when a person says, we're going to come and be a part of your church. There's a weight of responsibility there. There is a... There's... I wouldn't say a fear, but there is a proper understanding that people are entrusting their understanding of the word of God to your study, to your faithfulness, to your efforts. And it ought to be humbling. It ought to add a weight of responsibility and accountability upon us, men, that our wives have chosen to assume that position of submission to us And it ought to compel us to treat them with tremendous care. Because they have made themselves vulnerable to you. On the authority of God's word, you had better treat her right. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. There is a spiritual, there is a spiritual promise God says in Matthew chapter 7 that with what judgment we judge, we will be judged, showcasing a cause and effect relationship between my dealings with others and God's dealings with me. God says in Ephesians chapter 6 that children should obey their parents in the Lord for this is right and that this obedience comes with a promise. So there's a cause and effect relationship between a child's obedience and choice to honor their parents and their own lives. And here we see another cause and effect relationship that when the husband would, if a husband would take advantage of his authority over his wife, take advantage of her submission and vulnerability to live at her expense, there is a direct spiritual effect on your relationship with God. And husbands, this is a big deal. Everything you heard last time when we spoke of a wife's duties to you, this is not license for you to take advantage of her. The message should have welled up inside of you a deep sense of obligation and commitment, of love and of yieldedness. That if your wife is going to live this way toward you, as she ought, you had better live in a manner that nurtures and protects her. Finally, let's go back and talk about nourishing and cherishing our wives from Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, the husband is connected to Christ, who the Bible says gave himself for the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse it 
with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And then it goes on to say, of course, there so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. So Christ, as the head of the church, does not just protect the church. He does not just see the obligation to nurture and to love the church as the church. We have placed ourselves in his hands. We are entrusting our eternity to Christ. We are entrusting our capacity to overcome sin to Christ. We are placing ourselves in his hands and saying, God, if you drop me, I'm a fallen. And he doesn't drop us. This is how he leads us. So ought husbands to lead their wives. But it's not just that he protects us. He also nurtures us. When we stray, he helps us. When we have failings, he lovingly grows us, right? He takes it upon himself to make his church what it needs to be, to sanctify it, to cleanse it, to make it without spot or wrinkle or any such thing so that he can present it to himself, this glorious church. Husband, your wife is not just your physical and emotional responsibility. Your wife is your spiritual responsibility. Now, by this, I'm not saying that your wife does not have personal, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that her her spirit is connected to your spirit as it relates to salvation, that she is not autonomous in in that way, that she does not have her own relationship with God through the Holy Spirit indwelling her. She does. But what I am saying is that if a wife is doing her part right, she is submitting and aligning herself with her husband, then her spiritual life, her spiritual growth, her spiritual intensity will, to some great degree, be affected by her husband's spiritual life. Look, husband and wife, if you two are, two are on two completely different spiritual paths, if you are just each doing your own thing, there's something wrong in your marriage. That's not normal. That's not biblical. Can I put it that way? It might be normal nowadays, but it's not biblical. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Co-heirs to the grace of life. The idea that you two are on your own spiritual journeys and spiritual... Sure, yes, absolutely. We, we, you each have the Spirit of God inside of you. You are each being, being uh, led and drawn. But here's the thing. Wife, you are to live in submission to your husband. Husband, you are to live in deference to your wife. You can't do that and be spiritually walking two, two roads. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. And if she will be following your lead in the home, if you want your wife and family to grow in the Lord in this way, it will be your responsibility, men, to see that it happens. You have true power and responsibility, husband, to shape the spiritual life of your wife. And if your wife doesn't like something that you're doing, she only has a couple of options at her disposal. We talked about this briefly last week. We talked about the idea of appealing to authority. The fact of the matter is, when a wife need, uh, sees that her husband is not doing something that is, is right or she needs to appeal to authority, she needs to do so in proper submission. She doesn't come and outright oppose what her husband is doing and saying, I'm taking over now. That, that is unbiblical. But she does have the right to appeal to him in respect 
in honor and appeal to his authority to change. We also talked about the possibility of other authorities in one's life. If you're in a Bible-believing church such as this, then not only can you appeal to your husband's authority, but if he ignores your appeal and things are going wrong in the home and things aren't working right and he is flatly ignoring your appeals, he's not understanding them, then you can appeal to your pastor who is in authority over your husband in a spiritual manner. You can appeal to the church as a part of your, uh, as a part of your, your authoritative umbrella in um, violent ways or whatever the case may be, it is not wrong for a wife, if she's being beaten by her husband, to appeal to the authority of the government. They have the right to help you with that. That is their job. You may not agree with me there. But that's the way I see it. That is a part of the... Your husband is, is under the authority of the government according to the word of God. So there is a right to seek help from authorities in our lives that God has ordained within that level of ordained authority within, to, to the degree that, that they actually have that authority and they've been given that authority by God. If this fails, to whatever degree, the husband does not listen or those other authorities are not able or willing to help, or, or you don't have those authorities, the next step is simply God. If your husband has the authority to do what he's doing, if the church does not have the authority to step in, if the government does not have the authority to step in, both of which are other God-ordained institutions, if they don't have the authority to step in, and this is something that, needs, that, that, that is right for you to appeal and it's not happening, well, then your next appeal is to Christ. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you let Christ deal with your husband. And he will. He will. And your husband will be under the chastening hand of the Lord if he is doing wrong by his wife. His prayers will be hindered, as 1 Peter 3 says. And the Lord will deal with him. And you just have to trust and obey. And then she waits for God to do what needs to be done. See, husbands, you're, you have a different authority structure, though, don't you? See, because you are the authority in the home. If something is wrong in your home, if something is wrong with how your wife is acting, with her mindset, with her priorities, if something is out of focus and out of balance, you have the authority to change it to guide your wife, to help her to grow, to carefully and lovingly teach her what to expect and what you want of her. This means communication. You can't just expect her to know what's in your head. You've got to tell her. This means patience. You need to help her become what you recognize she needs to be in the home. This means understanding because you're dwelling with her according to knowledge. You're helping the home fit your wife and your wife to fit the home. Rather than just complaining about what your wife does, husband, rather than arguing with her, rather than uh, using some passive-aggressive attempt to manipulate her into knowing what you want by making uh, jokes around her friends or, or, or by, by leaving her passive-aggressive subtle hints about what you want or what you expect, communicate with her, step up, take responsibility for your home, lead your home, tell her this is not 
This is not what we need to be doing. This is what we need to be doing. Do it gently. Do it kindly. Do it in love. Do it patiently. Uh, Nurture her. Care for her. But lead her. She can't do that for you. She can appeal to you respectfully. She can appeal to other authorities respectfully. And then she appeals to Christ. And then she has to trust that Christ will change you. But husband, you can lead her. Take the leadership in your home. Well, I can't make her do anything. I have no power there. Well, then there's something wrong in your home, husband. There's something wrong in your home. And the solution is not to beat her into submission. But maybe, just maybe, it's, hey, honey, let's do a Bible study. Sit her down. Let's, let, let, let's talk about the positions that we have in the home. Let's learn how to fulfill those properly. Let's pray together every night and seek the Lord's best for our home. Let's take these steps to understand where you stand, where I stand, and to make sure that we're both doing our part right. Patiently, lovingly, nurture her into the direction that the home needs to go. Because it's your responsibility, husband. Lead. Lead. Don't just throw your arms up and say, well, I can't do anything with her. The Word of God, the Spirit of God can help you. God doesn't fail. Lead. Lead your home. This is not a call to some sort of dictator marriage where you're looking to bend the will of your wife and force her into subjection to you. But it is a situation where just as Christ lovingly, patiently, sanctifies his church and leads her through nourishing and cherishing her into perfection. So too, husband, you have the opportunity and the responsibility to nourish and cherish your wife into the kind of mother, woman, wife that she needs to be for your home to be what you know it ought to be in the Lord. Because you're going to stand responsible for that one day. You're going to stand before the Lord and be accountable for it one day. So step up and lead. As husbands, we've completely lost the biblical responsibility to lead our home down the sinkhole of Western civilization as it's it's crumbled underneath us. The impetus upon men is to lead our wives into godliness, to lead our homes into godliness. The commission upon men is to make our homes what God wants them to be through strength of leadership. Gentle, but firm. So that I can look at my home and say, yes, this is what my home ought to be before the Lord. Now, each person is going to make their own choices. Wife is going to make her own choices. Children are going to make their own choices. Husband, you're not responsible for their volition. But are you leading? Have you put the framework in place? Are you doing your part? So that the Lord will be pleased when he looks at your family. And really, what this does come down to in many ways today is leadership, right? A good leader is a servant leader, one who leads by example, one who yields himself for those whom he leads. This was the example of Moses. This was the example of Joseph and Joshua, David and Paul, most importantly of Jesus himself. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. 
Paul would say, I am willing to spend and be spent for you. And he was saying those of the, of, of the churches he'd gone to. Can you say that of your wife? Follow me, wife, as I follow Christ. I am willing, wife, to spend and be spent for you. Are you leading your wife? Are you loving your wife? Is your life yielded to her? Are you nourishing her? Are you cherishing her into the kind of woman that she needs to be in the Lord? Are you nurturing her? Are you protecting her as unto the weaker vessel, as unto the one who has yielded those rights to you, who has made herself vulnerable to you? Are you stepping up to lead as ye ought, believing that if you will do things God's way, God will honor and bless you for it? And here's the best part. The way God has made us, the way God has made men, and the way God has made women, we understand that women are by nature responders. If you do your part, husband, your wife is very likely to respond in turn and do her part better. Rather than saying, well, I'll give of myself when she shows some willingness. No. Step up. Be a man. Do your part. And watch what she'll do in response. Grow up. Get over yourself. Do your part. Lead. If God has commissioned us to lead, then don't wait for the followers to follow before the leaders lead. Followers aren't going to follow until the leader's leading them somewhere. So lead, men. Step up and lead. We lead in our homes and watch what God can then do in your marriage. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.